it, 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 is, it is my podcast, Matt Paris, but I'm very tired. So you're going to carry us tonight here on the uh, Standing Room Only podcast. Uh, ben Standing here. I do cover the Washington football team for The Athletic, as does Matt Paris. He writes for the Washington Times. We're talking late on a Sunday night. We're going to talk about the weekend that was for the Washington football team. They don't get Matt Stafford. Maybe we'll, we'll touch on Kyle Smith for us a minute or two. Um, we'll get to all that. And uh, in addition, I spoke at length with Fran Duffy, who is a uh, noted NFL draft uh, guru. He and I talked on Friday, so before the Matthew St- news that Matthew Stafford was going to be traded out. But we didn't really talk about that. But we did talk about this draft class went position by position, uh, strengths and weaknesses of the position, some players that stand out to Fran, uh, including people at the Senior Bowl. Plus, we got into the quarterback options, both in terms of the draft and otherwise. So a fun conversation. I'll get to that here in just uh, a second. Uh, obviously, if you want to uh, subscribe to the podcast, at, you can do it on iTunes, Spotify, all that. Uh, check out what I have on The Athletic, where my latest story is, speaking of the draft, I did like a seven-round mock draft. Also talked about the Matthew Stafford thing. Uh, what else? Uh, at, on Twitter, at Ben Standig. You want to follow Matt on Twitter, at Matthew underscore Paris. But right now, let's just talk to Matthew underscore Paris. Um, let's talk about the quarterback situation, because I guess, I mean, we'll get to Kyle Smith. We talked about it a bunch. He's going to the Atlanta Falcons. Other than the destination, we knew that was going to, he was going somewhere. So we'll get more to that, if not today, then later in the week, because I do have some things to, to say and share on that. But with regards to the quarterback stuff, all the reports were true, Matt, that something was going to happen. Uh, before the Super Bowl, didn't we didn't even get the Super Bowl week before it happened. And I, Saturday night, I don't know what you were doing. I was super tired. It's been a long week, just did not getting out of sleep. And I was actually debating because now I'm old and it's COVID. There's nothing to do. I was debating going to sleep around like 930. I was just tired. And all of a sudden I was like, ah, ah, mm-hmm. not, 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 not doing that. What was, uh, what was the initial Matt Paris reaction to seeing that Matt, uh, that Matthew Stafford got traded? Well, the initial reaction was that they missed their opportunity. And then I saw the compensation and I was okay with them not paying that price. We can talk about all the factors that went into why the Rams paid that price in a second. But, you know, I'm kind of conflicted on it because one hand, I don't think I would give up two first round picks from Washington's point of view. And I understand why they didn't, if that was, if they even actually considered that. But two, you look at the options and the landscape out there I think their primary goal for this offseason is to find a, not only to find quarterback stability, but what quarterback is actually going to be better than Alex Smith or what kind of quarterback is going to be better than Kyle Allen. And you look at the options out there now with Stafford available, besides Deshaun Watson, there's really not an affordable name out there that is really um, comes to mind. So, you know, from that point, I think missing out on Stafford was, was really um, a blow to them but at the same time i understand why they didn't do it as well yeah um i as i said i I recorded my interview with uh with fran duffy a a couple days ago so um because i'm old and i can't remember what happened yesterday i forget exactly what what we got into but i think i I laid out who the person i would want to get as as like the um um the fallback like just sort of like if, if you don't get out anything and it wasn't i mean it wasn't that exciting because that's exactly the point. They're really, the, the, the Stafford thing is very reminiscent to me of what happened last year with Amari Cooper. 
Um, Omari Cooper was clearly the best receiver available by a lot, and Washington made a big push to get him. Obviously, and you know, very similar situations. It sounded like, like they made an offer that was comparable to Dallas, but for you know, variety of reasons, Cooper decided to stay with Dallas, the team he'd been with the previous year. And um, so they didn't get him. In this case, it sounds like Stafford wanted to go to Los Angeles because um, whatever, he's got a house there or what, or what have you. I'm sure playing with Sean McVay seems like a pretty cool deal. Uh, and yes, then on top of that, the Rams gave up two first round picks plus a third and, and Jared Goff. And I, as you mentioned, the compensation aspect of it all, like I'm sure there are people out there who are like, well, Washington, you know, should have gone in more or whatever. Like he, I think people are misreading this deal on very the conversation on various levels. We talked about this here on the podcast. I wrote about it, talked about it on Twitter. First and a third. Like the article I wrote the other day about Stafford was I pitched the idea, the idea of to the league, to people around the league, a first and a third. Is that a fair price for Stafford? And people are like, eh. You know, some people are like, yeah, I don't know. You know, what's he done? No pro, you know, one Pro Bowl, no playoff wins. Yada, yada. I'm like, yeah, but I mean, he's clearly the best guy available. He's obviously good. Can't blame everything on him because Detroit's typically terrible. And, you know, realistically, that's just the baseline. Somebody may go above that. Now the Rams did go above that, but only because they were making Detroit take on Jared Goff's big contract. And regardless of whether you think Jared Goff is good and worth something he can be salvageable or, you know, just something you had to do to take on the first, that was the thing. So, I mean, I I reported on Saturday night that Washington made an offer, apparently a pretty good offer. Some people said it was a better offer. I heard versions of that, but I don't know that for fact, but basically that they made an offer and that it was an offer that, you know, would, would quote, uh, well, not quote, but would would be a better immediate help for the lions than what, um, than what they, than what they got. I don't think Detroit's needs were at immediate help because of their sort of this rebuild most. I don't think that part is particularly relevant, but the point is, is Washington, if they were giving up a first and a third or first and a second, they, it would be insane for them to have given up two ones if they weren't giving up the Jared Goff like contract. And, you know, I guess you could make the case. Could they, could you give up the Alex Smith or Landon Collins or, I don't know. Is there somebody else on this team who's got a weird contract? Whatever it is, I guess you could do these things, but that's not what was being reported. All we know is that, you know, so like uh, the, the, the compensation for Stafford, yes, it ultimately was two ones plus other stuff, but not really, not, not in the traditional way that people were talking about it. So that's what the Rams, that's what the Lions get, but it's not for Washington. It's not an apples to apples comparison. And I think that needs to be stated for anybody who's going, Oh, how come they didn't get them? Well, I mean, they would have had to give. They would be giving up way more than what the Rams did. If they give up two ones without getting some other thing back. Right. Washington, yeah, Washington didn't have that type of contract that you absolutely needed to to dump. Like even a guy like Landon Collins, you know, you might not want that contract anymore. But they can get out of it next season if they really want to. Um, with Detroit, it's really just a matter of what you prefer. We talk about immediate help. We don't know exactly what was on the table for Washington, but we can at least infer a first round pick. That's the 19th pick. But by going the, the 22 and 23 route, which is the Rams first round picks, you know, they're taking a more of a gamble that those, those picks can probably flop rather than, um, you know, have the sure thing in Washington's a late teens first round pick. Maybe they're betting that the Rams flop one of these years and finish within the top 10, something like that you know, the upside that those picks turn into something I think is higher 
than maybe the, the sure thing with Washington and they're betting on that. But yeah, as you said, the Rams certainly look like they wanted to dump um, Jared Goff's contract. And a lot of people have compared it to an NBA type trade where you attach an asset to get rid of the asset you don't want. And I think that's actually a, a pretty smart comparison in this case. Yeah. I mean, I think that's exactly what it is. It's the weirdest trade I can remember. I mean, I, I, you know, because I was paying attention in real time and trying to figure out what's going on. And I was talking to people around the league, uh, some on people um, involving, you know, teams that were exposing the mix and just other people in general. And there were some people, they were like, Oh, great trade for, for the Rams Uh, get Stafford, you know, they already have really good defense. You know, you know they were kind of like all, you know, to some degree kind of all in already because of the way they'd already given up a lot of picks and things like that. Great. Other people are like, oh, my God, are you kidding me? What a terrible, what a terrible choice, a, t- a terrible deal for, for the Rams to give up two ones. Have, they've already given up a ton of stuff. They they also take a big a cap hit on Jared Goff to trade him in this scenario. And, like, honestly, for some people, like, Stafford is good. But, you know, like, the Rams are not one of those teams that people are automatically assuming – needed a quarterback no i mean there was this reports of a rift between golf and, and mcveigh but just in a general sense it's i mean golf you know has been in a super bowl he's, he's played in some you know he, he's done some good things i, I don't think it was like a, 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 a must have on the flip side with detroit some people think they did a great job he got two ones some people think jared golf is definitely salvageable and so on and then all the other people are like, really? You t- the Lions took on Jared Goff and they don't even get a first round pick this year. They have to wait till 22, 23 for their picks. So very weird range of uh, situation. But let's bring this back to the thing that matters because this, Matt, is a Washington football team podcast. I think the important part is, one, they went for it because, like, as you said, and we discussed this here and wrote about it, whatever, it was kind of to a degree Stafford or bust. Whatever Deshaun Watson, whether he's made available or not, that price will be out, outrageous. And honestly, I don't really see how Washington is involved. If they really do get crazy and like they start doing things like Case Young, Terry McLaurin, anything's, anything's available, well, then I guess anything's possible. But in a realistic sense, you just have to look at teams like the Jets and the Dolphins who can also offer a lot of stuff, but they have picks two and three in the draft. They have young quarterbacks. I don't see how Washington gets in. This was the move to get because Stafford, whatever people think of him, even if you don't know that high on him, he is far more interesting. His ceiling is way higher than everybody else that Washington could potentially get that, that we know of at this point. And they made they decided to go for it. And I think that says a lot about, you know, for all this talk about, hey, Alex Smith, you know, he could be the guy, Kyle Allen, Taylor Heineke. No, <laughs> none of that was going that was the plan for Ron Rivera and crew they wanted to make this move now what what does that mean going forward we'll see but i mean to me i think this is the biggest it is clearly the biggest indication that the idea that they were going to stay pat is seems highly unlikely uh based on making this kind of aggressive uh choice yeah you compared it to the mari cooper situation from last year and i think the major difference here is they recognize their window is now you know before they, they could afford to be patient because last year was supposed to be about rebuilding and trying to build positive directions to try and give Dwayne Haskins some weapons and see where he was supposed to be. But, you know, that's all out the window now. And they, they really realized they have this young, nice core here that they need to start taking advantage of the years that they're still left on their rookie contract. So, you know, Stafford was the, the top option there, but 
You look at some of the other trade market names available. Those seem to have simmered. It, it seems like the new coaching staff in Atlanta wants to keep Matt Ryan. Carson Wentz isn't really an option either. It seems like in Philadelphia, they want to salvage him. So, you know, the names that we thought of maybe even just a few weeks ago don't look like they're going to be available. And that leads us to free agency. And then you're getting to the Ryan Fitzpatrick's, Jameis Winston, Marcus Mariota. It just, those names aren't really sexy either. And, and you know, I wanted to get your opinion, Ben. <laughs> this is your podcast after all, but you know, those, those names don't scream obvious upgrades over Alex Smith to me, or even Kyle Allen, like, you know, in a vacuum, they're probably better quarterbacks to be clear at this point, but they need someone to, to go from a, a solid team that can win the division to become an annual playoff contender. And I don't know if any of those names do that. And if that's the case, then you're back in this quarterback market just a year or two now year or two from now anyway. Yeah, no, I think that's the thing. It's not that pick your guy, James Winston, uh, Cam Newton, trade for Sam Darnold, uh, you know, uh, it's not that any of these guys, on, like if we ranked quarterbacks, wouldn't be ahead of the people that are here. It's just, uh, okay, but it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily move the needle when you're, we're talking about, you know, a team that's going to have a first place schedule, uh, you know, it, it, it isn't just enough to even be back to where they were, be 500 or nine and seven, even we're talking the next step is get to, you know, be a contender. And I wrote about this the other day. Again, I, I'm not saying they have a two year window like the Rams right now have a two year or have a have a smaller window. They got to go for it. Right. I'm not saying that for Washington, but in terms of this group with all these young players on their rookie contracts at cheap prices, they basically have a two-year window. You get to 2023, and by that point, you will have to have paid at least two of the defensive linemen if you want to keep them all. Terry McLaurin becomes a free agent. Uh, Morgan Moses becomes a free agent at that point, uh, you know, and so on. So um, th- this is kind of a, a bit of a window, and it does feel like they wanted to, to make this move. And I was thinking to myself, you know, sort of leading into all this was, you know, if you're Ron Rivera, I mean, it was obviously a very frustrating year dealing with Dwayne Haskins. We don't have to go litigate, relitigate that again, but obviously a young quarterback developing, not all young, some young quarterbacks develop faster than others and so on. But typically there's a bit of a learning curve. Do you want to go through that again? I don't know. I honestly kind of wondered about just his own life. He had a lot going on this year, obviously with the cancer and everything else. And does that change one's perspective? Um, on, on all on all these things you know he didn't even just from the front office he didn't bring in somebody to you know he didn't stay with the 36 year old Kyle Smith he didn't bring in a younger person no he brought in two guys who have been there done that uh, maybe that's who he wanted all along but he also didn't bring in people that were to some degree having to learn this on the job right even if people can say Kyle Smith is the greatest of all time he would he would be a first-time general manager if he was given the full role. He's still you know, like any job. You got to, you know, Matt, Matt Paris didn't become the great sports writer. He is day one. He learned how to, how to do it, right? So, um, you know, he's, you know, so all that suggests that they want to do something more. But, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know that this is, that this is that, any of these other names are that interesting. And that's what now becomes a fascinating aspect Um a fascinating aspect to all this, but yeah, I mean, it, it's, um, it, it, it made for a fun s- Saturday night um, for, for sure. Um, we can come back to the, to the Stafford point in a second, unless you got something else to add on that right now. Uh, no, no, I don't. 
So with regards to Kyle Smith, so that was Friday. Again, yeah. keep track because it seems like it's 10 years ago at this point. Uh, so yeah, so the, um, we, he's going to the Atlanta Falcons. Um, you know, you know, we kind of knew that something was going to be going down for that. And it was just a matter of when, one, you know, once they brought in the two other, you know, Herney and, and Mayhew, it was just a matter of time. Um, like I said, I'll, I'll, I'll add more to this later in the week, but uh, I, you know, I guess ultimately for me right now, look, I think there's a lot of reason to like Kyle Smith. I had people around the league tell me that they think it was a mistake for Washington to let him go. But at the same point, Herney and Mayhew are well-respected. And, you know, typically any anybody who comes into an organization, they kind of clean house to a de- to varying degrees. You said, and he, Ron Rivera did have a year to assess the situation and determined he wanted to go in this, dir- in this direction. And we'll, the reasons why I think are potentially interesting, but regardless, I don't, regardless of how we got there, going that direction, I, I can't say Ron Rivera is making a mistake broadly if this is what he thinks is better. I do think it's interesting that Kyle Smith is added to the list of people that were here that we now get to watch and see what happens. He has the same job with the Atlanta Falcons, but he's number two in the front office there, uh, as opposed to here, he would have been you know, third or fourth, depending on how you view it. So, um, you know, I, I think it's potentially going to be potentially a tough exit for them, but at the same point, I can't be like, well, it's a terrible move simply because Rivera's, you know, yeah. he's got to go with what he wants to go with. He's earned a little bit of the benefit of the doubt after the type of year that they had too, but you know, with Kyle Smith, it's just kind of interesting the pattern of it. It was, you know, Rivera was so complimentary back in April after the draft, and there was this exchange that they had one of the reporters on our beat, Les Carpenter, he asked them how their communication was throughout the draft, and you know, Kyle Smith answered, then Ron Rivera answered, then Kyle Smith answered again, and then Ron Rivera answered, and it was just this kind of love fast back and forth between them. And it really seemed like they had something there. And then as the season went on along, when Rivera was asked about him, just the praise was so much cooler. And we don't know if there was a riff there, but or if there was any animosity there, but it just, it seemed like something, you know, Rivera had mentioned about getting on the same page. That's never a good sign when those words are mentioned and just something something went bad there. And now that they have Herney and Mayhew, those are guys that Rivera can trust or certainly with um, Herney anyway. So, you know, we'll see, but, you know, best of luck to Kyle Smith. He was respected by the coaches that he worked with. We can talk about that Jay Gruden quote in the Washington post there, but um, you know, I think Kyle Smith still has a high opinion around the league, but Rivera was willing to go in a different direction. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Boy, I tell you what, Matt. Can I be honest? I'm like, I, I got like so tired in the last like hour or so. Like the, the wizard. We were both watching the Wizards game. Crazy, crazy game. Crazy finish. They beat the Nets, and I think I think they just sucked all the energy out of me. Um, I'll have more. Co- I'll have more cohesive thoughts on some of these things later. But yeah, I mean, look. At the end of the day, you know, I, I guess it like I guess it feels like on the Kyle Smith. We just talked about it a bunch. Um, Look, ultimately, you know, you know, all of these things, moving on from Kyle Smith, making the play for Stafford, um, you know, what, what, what's interesting, I guess, on some level is, you know, 
that there is a new guy in charge. I mean, Rivera's not been here for a year, but ultimately he is the one making all these decisions. And like a year ago, you know, everything was still, we still had the shadow of Bruce Allen and, um, you know, the Jay Gruden, you mentioned Jay Gruden and, and, and his, his tenure and all that. But now we're for a year further away from all that. And ultimately this is, you know, Rivera's team. I mean, no matter what we all talked about during this past season, constantly looking back to what happened before, I mean, it's going to be less of that now because yeah. it, it's going to be about him now. Yes. The owner is still around. Let's not pretend that it's otherwise. And his, his role in any of this and all of this is, is, is always interesting. And, you, you know, you wonder where, where he weighed in potentially on the idea of making a play for a Stafford or not, or, or, or whatever, but at the same, or, you know, anything, but yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just interesting to see Ron Rivera continue to take um, c- control. I asked somebody the other day, and you know, one question I constantly get from people on Twitter or in, in, um, in the messages on, on the articles on the athletic is sort of the idea of, Hey, you know, chop, chop, uh, reporter, reporter monkey, what's going on with who's doing what in the front office? Who's, who's running the show? Is it Herney? Is it Mayhew? You know, kind of what's going on. And, you know, I tried sort of digging in a little bit about this and the one thing I got was basically, it doesn't matter. Ron Rivera is running the show and they report to Ron Rivera and however they all break it down, they'll break it down. And, um, you know, you kind of go, you kind of go from, uh, you know, you kind of go from there. Yeah. I think you kind of hit on an important point there. Just bringing up the, the Jay Gruden thing again, just for people who missed it, he said that Dan Snyder would get off the yacht and make the pick. I, I think that that's the biggest thing here is the people who want Rivera to run the show. Well, this is him running the show. You know, you may not like Kyle Smith leaving, but if you want Rivera to have that control, if you want him to have that say over Dan Snyder, then he's going to make the moves that he wants to make. And this was a move that he clearly wanted to make. Um, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, any, um, any final thoughts from you? I, I'm sure we'll have you back on the podcast soon, but it's late here and I don't want to, uh, you know, you got to get your beauty sleep. Any, any final thoughts from you? There's a, uh, you know, um, yeah. Any, anything else from you? I mean, I, I guess let me just ask you this. So just to go back to the quarterback thing. So the Deshaun Watson becomes now the big, the big, the big fish we're all waiting for out there. What happens, um, you know, what happens with there? Uh, you know, I don't think that the Stafford situation changes anything to do with Watson, meaning that while, again, I know, I understand that technically, not technically, the Rams did give up two first round picks and a third to do that. But again, the contract with golf, it has to factor into that. So if you sort of put it as like a mathematical equation, it didn't, it got a little bit less than, than, than that. Watson's going to go for way more. Uh, John McClain, who is the, 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 the Texans beat writer for the Houston Chronicle. He may be the, for any one team, he may be the most plugged in sports reporter, NFL reporter in the country. I mean, right. I mean, he seems to know what's going on with it, with them um, as well as anybody. And he came out today and, and, and said that the price could be some version of two firsts, two seconds and two starting players. I don't know if he said defense or not, but whatever, two starting players. Um, and if you view that from Washington's perspective, two firsts, two seconds. Okay. Two starting players, you know, make this up Deron Payne, Kendall Fuller, Cole Holcomb, take your, you know, whatever, take, take your, take your, take your pick. And the question will be one, would you do it? And two, is that even enough from Washington's perspective? I would just say that I understand we're all going to talk about it because what else are we going to do? 
But I, I mean, the odds of Washington getting him one, because half the league will legitimately be involved. And two other teams like Miami and the jets just seem to me to have way more to offer because they have, you know, top three picks. They have young quarterbacks, all these things. I, I just don't see how Washington gets involved, but you have any, would you, would you like to give any hope and or optimism to the, um, to the masses out there regarding uh, Deshaun Watson, or do you see a different, you know, we mentioned some of those other things. Is there somebody else that you sort of wanted to make a, a bold prediction that you think is more of the realistic target that you're going to put, put your hat on? No, I think going back to the Watson compensation thing, you know, McLean mentioned that they're willing to give up two young, they want two young defensive players. So what does that mean? I think you look at Washington's defensive position. I think you can afford to lose one of the interior guys, one of, you know, pick your thing of Payne, Allen, or Ioannidis, maybe one of them. But I, I just don't think you can lose any of the, the uh, exterior guys on the pass rush. You know, I, I'd be really hesitant. Definitely not offering Chase Young, even though Watson is incredible. And, and um, even Montez Sweat, I don't know. I mean, maybe you do that at the end of the day, but it seems like there's just a lot of talent there that I'd be hesitant in leaning off when or parting with any of those guys. I mean, it is, it is impossible to, for me to even wrap my brain around. Right. And it's also Deshaun Watson. So I sounded like a huge idiot there. I just realized, I mean, Sean, Sean Watson is incredible. And in a vacuum, you, even if it was like a one for one, you would probably trade Chase Young for Deshaun Watson, but there are a lot of other factors in play. And I, you know, Chase Young is very important to Washington and what they're trying to do there. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm not going to sit here and say that I wouldn't, that, that I, you know, some people are off the table or whatever, but at the same time, I, it's hard for me. I'm, I'm probably a little more conservative by nature. I'm, I'm not one of these people just going to go and say, you got to go do it. I mean, I get it, but like, it's, you know, there's a lot, it's a lot to, it's a lot to consider, but uh, you know, we've got, well, I think on this one, we'll have more time. It doesn't look like Houston's in any rush to do anything. I think Detroit to some degree was wise to move before Houston maybe did um, because it was a unique circumstance. You had a lot of teams that would seemingly want to be in the mix um, for this as we, you know, and now, you know, the Rams weren't, except weren't even a team most thought was looking for a quarterback. Now they're the ones that get Stafford, which means that all the other teams, Washington, the Colts, 49ers, uh, Patriots, maybe the Panthers, um who, who am I forgetting um well I mean if we're talking about Deshaun Watson the 49ers the the Jets the right I mean if you're talking about Watson it could be even teams like who knows I mean the Steelers could get involved like that but you know I mean the Giants could get um could get involved oh, oh the Saints are a team that obviously is uh is got to figure out a quarterback thing for sure so lot, lots to consider we'll have a little bit more time on that and uh we'll we'll, we'll get Matt on um, when, when both of us are not as tired, but Matt, I appreciate you helping uh, carry the uh, carry the workload here. You, you, your usage rate was very yes. high. One nice. last um, one last breaking thing here. Sorry oh. to not. Uh, apparently, according to Albert Breer, Washington offered the 19th pick and a third round pick. Hope for Stafford. Okay. Well, I mean, like I said, that's in line with kind of what I assumed, and like I said, to the point of. The point, if, if, if we take that for what it is, the immediate need aspect, I mean, that's what made logical sense. And the extra first that they got was because of Jared Goff. So like I said, if, if, if we take that, I'm sure, you know, I'm not doubting Albert Breer on that, then I don't view it that Washington got out bid. If that's the way people want to view it, I don't know what to tell you, but like 
<laughs> there was no Jared Goff situation that we know of. And even if there was, Jared Goff is a very different circumstance than anybody else that Washington would have because he is a young quarterback. With And by the way, the guy who traded for him, the GM of the Lions, is the former director of scouting for the Rams who pushed for them to get Jared Goff in the first place. So he's going to have some affinity. View him as Jay Gruden's Colt McCoy, as it were. Uh, you know, even more so because he actually uh, drafted him and they traded a lot of picks to get him and all that. So uh, I get why he would have some affinity for him uh, regardless. Um, Matt, appreciate it, man. Go follow Matt on Twitter at Matthew underscore Paris. Read his stuff in the Washington Times. And uh, if you see him in the street, tell me he's got a, uh, you know, give him some props on his haircut. He's uh, he's got a, he's got a new do. Um, thanks, man. Appreciate it. No problem. Thanks. All right. As promised, uh, we're going to get into the NFL draft, talk about the prospects, this overall class, what's happening at the Senior Bowl and more with a guy who I would normally see at the Senior Bowl if normal times existed, which we know they don't. But he is one of the guys that you definitely want to listen to with the draft. He is Fran Duffy from the Journey to the Draft podcast. My man, Fran, how are you? Ben, I'm doing great, man. It's, uh, it's a shame we couldn't run into each other uh, down at the Senior Bowl. We won't be doing it at the Combine, but uh, this will have to do for this year. <laughs> it, 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 it will. Um, we're going to get to – We're gonna. I'm going to ask you about everything that goes on with uh, w- with this overall class. We'll obviously talk about the quarterbacks. I hear that's important uh, yeah. for, for everybody involved. But, I'm, but one thing I'm just fascinated by, and this is the type of thing I do want to ask scouts, but you're, this is kind of what you do. You're, you're not the professional scout, but you really dive into this stuff and you would be at the senior bowl. You would be at the combine. Uh, if we were having a combine this year, we're not, and maybe some other things. What, what do you think it's going to be like for scouts? What do you think they're going to miss the most not being able to do some of these things? Now the senior bowl is going on and people are there, but obviously the college season was limited and even the senior bowl much more limited than, than usual. So what's your sense? Like, what do you think is the biggest thing that teams are going to be not getting out of this uh, process uh, this time? I mean, when you look at the, the calendar, you have draft weekend, which is three days. The other 362 days are basically fact-finding missions for personnel departments all across the NFL. And so really uh, it goes about how you're coming to find those facts. How are you getting that information? The first, the first part of that is going to the school and, t- and speaking with your sources. And some scouts have better sources than others. Some scouts, you know, you get in the building, they, they have the, you know, the people-to-people skills uh, certainly uh, come into play there. And you weren't able to have that this year, right? You didn't have uh, the school visits. You didn't have uh, – a lot of schools didn't have – uh, scouts on campus even for games and if they did uh, I know the SEC they did um, some kind of like wonky like lottery system where they kind of just pulled names out of a hat and said all right these 10 teams can send a scout here this week it's uh, it was certainly a unique set of circumstances but what that meant for scouts this year was look we're gonna you're gonna get all the film and everybody gets all the film the edge that your scouts give you on the ground is that hey you're gonna go talk to the equipment manager you're gonna talk to the video guy you're gonna talk to the secretaries and the janitors and you know whoever the people are that you create those relationships with on a yearly basis year over year over year of going into these schools well maybe now you weren't getting access to those people and you know maybe if you do you, you're trying to see if you can try and reach out to them uh, on the back side of it but I think it's uh, the information gathering aspect of this whole thing has been so, so different. And just talking with scouts, uh, we talk with them every single week over on the Journey to the Draft podcast. It's like coming into the Senior Bowl, 
this is the first time that a lot of these guys may have been seen by a scout. You're talking about like trying to profile their body type and get a sense for how they move. Cause that's the other big part of what scouts are trying to do as well. You're trying to see how is the guy built? What are his athletic traits? How does that transition to the next level? We're not worried about as much about technique and usage and things like that, but how is he put together the biomechanics of each of these players? And so uh, you may not have had a chance to do that up until this past week in Mobile, Alabama. So the whole information gathering part of this entire thing to me is, is so fascinating. It's going to be a really fun case study for personnel departments, for scouts, for general managers, everybody four five, six years from now, looking back on this year and just see how it went. Were there more busts? Were there less busts? How was the, the process impacted and how did it impact the end result? Right. I mean, it is the, the, the eye test will be very important. And then it's like a lot of instincts. And I think that's the thing, right? I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't, we don't have to even be talking about players that you're scouting, just human beings. We meet yep. people and we may have no a doubt. perception of who they are. And it's not until you have an actual conversation, you're in the room with them, you meet with them, and then you get to know, wow, this is the nicest person ever. Or like, wow, this person, woo-hoo, I misread this person. I thought this person was you know, nice or whatever. And it turns out, no, they're, self-interested or whatever that whatever the yeah. thing may be and you're going to miss on all that um in the because they're not going to have these types of usual interviews just being in the same that's like the thing right now where the zoom world that we're, we've all unfortunately gotten used to it changes the dynamic it's not the same space as even world i see you we're talking it's different than being in the same room and body language and things like that so um all that and of course the medicals are also going to be a, yep. a, a big deal that they're going to lose out um as well um, all right, so so here's what I kind of wanted to do here with, with Fran. Um, obviously, we'll get to some specifics. He's been watching the Senior Bowl tape, and I'm fascinated to see who he's liked and what stood out to him. But important, we're going to go all through. We're all going to be interested in this draft, right? Uh, we're, we're all going to we're all going to say Washington should do do this, or they should do that. But I personally view it as like people know that I, I'm into the mock drafts, and we can sit here and say that Washington maybe needs a wide receiver, which they do. But is it makes sense to take one at 19? Maybe it doesn't if it's a year where, like last year, where this is really deep at, at receiver. And on the flip side, if, say, maybe offensive tackle is arguably their second biggest need, I'm not saying it is, but just play with me here, then if there's only a handful of offensive tackles that are really worthy of getting picked pretty high, maybe it makes more sense to take that player at 19, knowing by the time you get to the second or third round, it's slim pickings. And that's why it's important, I think, to understand strengths and weaknesses of this draft. So. I'm going to ask Fran, we'll go position by position. I'll give a quick overview of Washington. He'll give us the Twitter size view on that. Is it a strong group, solid group, weak group? Something like that. Well, I'll, I'll, keep, I'll keep it simple for my, uh, for, 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 for my, for my attention span. We'll start backwards here. Let's start with the secondary, cornerback. Yep. Washington's got Ronald Darby and Fabian Moreau are free agents at a minimum. They would need more depth if Moreau were to go, and at maximum they could need, maybe need a starter if Darby's out, what's your sense of the cornerback uh, class this year? So I think there are two blue chip players that are going to go in the, the top 10 ish of this draft and Patrick Sertain jr. From Alabama, Caleb Farley from Virginia tech afterwards. I think there are a handful of guys that really can be starters in this league. And we're talking starters. We're talking top three corners. And so it's going to be a matter of scheme. And I think when you look at Washington, the way they play, especially leaning into uh, you know, the zone coverage aspect of things, I think there are a handful of guys that fit that. The, the question now becomes, and I remember having Tony Dungy come on my podcast. This was a few years ago now. 
and him talking when he got to Indianapolis and sitting down with Bill Poley and kind of putting together how their draft priorities would be. He said, look, with what we do from a Tampa two style scheme, if we can wait a little bit to get a corner, I need pass rushers. I need defensive tackle help. We need undersized linebackers that can really run. The corners we can we can wait on wait on a little bit, and I think when you look in Carolina at what uh, Marty Herney and what uh, Ron Rivera did, you know, getting a guy like a James Bradbury, right? You look at guys like that; they were able to find in the middle of the rounds the Josh Normans of the world. They were able to find those players and get them to play good football. So I kind of wonder: Will you look at this class and see, hey, look, we're going to miss out on the two blue chip players? Maybe we wait a little bit. And I kind of view that there are a bunch of starter, a bunch of starting quality players especially that have, you know, that, that skill set that transition well to a, uh, to more of a zone coverage scheme. All right. Uh, let's go to uh, safety uh, mm-hmm. Washington. So lose Landon Collins during the season with an Achilles injury. They never really quite figured out free safety. The shades are ever played fairly well uh, for a bit as like a hard hitting threat, but then he gets hurt. And that's kind of been his issue throughout the year. Uh, Cam curl was a big surprise, a seventh round pick became one of the top rookies in the league this year, but he was playing mostly strong safety. We'll have to see how they work that out with Landon Collins coming back and he played free or not, but it seems like one way or the other, they probably need a free safety, but what's your sense? Uh, but and if, like, they maybe even need more than they may need depth just regardless. Troy Apke, sure. I have a feeling may not be back. Uh, <laughs> that's just a shot. I thought uh, in any event, safety, what, what do we think about that uh, group? I would say overall, probably one of the weaker groups uh, in this class, but that doesn't mean that there aren't good players. And I think that when you look at this group, uh, especially when you get to day two, there are some guys that have the ability to take the football away. And that's always going to play well uh, with teams that are looking to not just prevent the big play, but create some big plays going the other way. So, uh, you know, depending on what you're looking for, I think there will be guys there for the taking again, leaning into what that scheme is. I think there are going to be a lot of players that really intrigued them. There was one down at in, in, uh, the senior ball, Richie Grant from Central Florida, I think would fit perfectly in what Ron Rivera and Jack Del Rio do on the back end. There are a handful of those guys that uh, I feel have that kind of skill set. So while it's not the a top-heavy group in terms of, oh, man, like there are a bunch of guys that are going to go top 50, top 75, I do think there are some players that have staying power in the NFL. So I'll, I'll, I'll deviate right here. So by the time people hear this, Fran and I are talking, it's Friday afternoon. This probably goes up for Monday morning. Um, I'm going to have a, a Washington football team only mock draft up on the athletic because, you know, this is what we do. <laughs> uh, and in the third round, I had them taking Richie Grant. Uh, I saw that Dane was Dane Brugler, who was part of your podcast, and obviously our NFL draft uh, guru. Was, was among the people touting Richie Grant. What, what, what is interesting about him specifically um, that, that, that kind of stands out? Well, it's funny. So I had his defensive backs coach, Willie Martinez from Central Florida. He came on the show uh, on Friday. And when you look back at uh, some of the things that he taught, he just talked about from an, a pure intangible standpoint, everything he brings. We know how much that matters to Ron Rivera. But then I think when you also look at him on the field between the lines, He's a huge hitter. He's instinctive and he's really, really competitive. And I think when you look uh, at those schemes, you know, especially when you're playing quarters coverage, you're going to have run responsibility. Certainly something Richie Grant is up for. You watch him come down uh, and, you know, and play the run and he's fearless coming downhill. But then also his instincts and his competitiveness, I think, will also uh, really serve him well. Even playing in coverage, I mean, he matched up against receivers at times. And while he gave up some catches this past week, 
I thought he was really, really competitive in that because that, that's not a matchup that a lot of safeties are going to win is when you're matched up against uh, especially what was a great receiving group down in Mobile. I thought that he fared very well. Um, yeah, I, I think Richie Grant has a, a very intriguing skill set for sure moving to the league. All right, linebacker. This is why the weakest part of Washington's defense last year. I could probably make the case that other than Cole Holcomb, who is not a stud, but you know, is an interesting player. They may not have two other guys you could say could be starting. John Bostic, I think, was overstarted, <laughs> uh, but I only had too many other options. Kevin Pierre-Lewis is a free agent, and he lost playing time as the season went on, as, especially when they went more with nickel packages. And then beyond that, you know, we'll have to see Khalid Hudson played a little bit late in the year, but, you know, we'll, we'll see where he's at. I think they could arguably need get one or two linebackers. It wouldn't stun me if they took one in the first or second round, depending on if they have their picks, uh, you know, unless they trade everything away for some quarterback. Uh so that said, linebackers, a lot of different ways to look at that. What do you, what's your sense of the uh, of this group? I think it's a good group. I think there are a lot of guys that really intrigue me, whether you're talking from a pure physical tool standpoint. So uh, obviously there's there's blue chip players, guys that I feel will end up in the first round of this draft. You know, Michael Parsons and Nick Bolton, I think is a really underrated player. Um, you know, Dylan, there's been a lot of buzz about Dylan Moses and Jeremiah Wusukoromoa. Uh, but then you get into even just day two, day three, and you know, Chaz Surratt from North Carolina is a really rangy kid with upside. Baron Browning from Ohio State, big, physical, uh, and versatile. Jabril Cox from the LSU. Um, yeah, they're, they're just, you go down the list, there are a handful of linebackers in this draft that uh, I think have staying power in the league and um, a versatile mix of skill sets as well that, you know, especially against the pass, as we know, uh, that is so valuable. So uh, to me, uh, a bunch of linebackers in this group, and I think it's a, it's a, a solid group overall. Uh, since I'm... Uh gonna I guess I'll mention the, the, I'll keep mentioning my, my mock draft the guy gave them in the second round uh Chaz Surratt from North mm. Carolina uh feel free to tell me that's a terrible at 51 he won't be there he will be there I tried to do the best I could at this point looking at Dane's list and some other lists I'm very far behind in my process as far as uh gauging things but you know it, it, like I said it wouldn't surprise me if they took a linebacker in the first two rounds I'll, I'll get to maybe what I did in the first round later but um what, what what's your thoughts on on him how does he kind of fit in yeah I think when you look at, at Surratt he's a, a little bit undersized and he came into North Carolina he was their starting quarterback as a true freshman uh ended up leading leading the, the team in passing yards um athletic kid he ended up missing a large chunk of his sophomore season and then for his junior year, they made the move over to linebacker. And so uh, what happens? He makes the move to linebacker. He's first team all conference. He's one of the leaders in tackles, TFLs, all over the place. Really, uh, really good blitzer. Still kind of figuring it out in coverage. Um, but you, you see an athletic kid who can close fast and just a really tough player as well. Not afraid to, to stick his nose in. So I, I think when you look at uh, you know, his upside moving into the NFL, so, all right, like this is a guy with a lot of tools. You know, you might look at him and say, all right, he's built like an Anthony Barr style player. Um, you know, there, there have been some players that have come out uh, in the draft in recent, you know, recent years that, you know, have kind of that lean slender build, but are really athletic and versatile and can be used in pressure packages. And I think that uh, when you look at Chaz Surratt, he's right in that mold as a player that can come in and impact passing downs. All right. Uh, defensive line. Now at defensive end, some people might say, are you really going to talk about defensive end at all? <laughs> you got yeah. Chase Young, you got Montez Sweat. What are we bothering with? I actually think it would make, I mean, again, well, free agency comes first. I actually think it makes sense for Washington to draft a defensive end and somewhat high, not in the first maybe two or three rounds, but beyond Chase Young and Montez Sweat, they don't really have anything else. Ryan Kerrigan's expected to leave in free agency. Um, Ryan Anderson, I don't, I would not, I would imagine is not 
uh, coming back and th there's not much else going on there. So I think at a minimum, you need depth. You can never have enough pass rushers, but regardless, defensive ends, what do you think about, uh, about this group? And I think that probably plays into their hands because it's not a top heavy group. I think there are some, there are obviously there are going to be players that go in the first round, right? I mean, there, there's always a thirst for pass rushers, but uh, I think overall, it's not the strongest year for, for edge rushers. It's just going to be a matter of preference and uh, what things you're looking to forgive, right? Because I think when you look at like a Jason Owe from Penn State, this kid is super, super gifted. He had zero sacks this year. Uh, Greg Rousseau was one of the leaders in, country, in, the, in the country in sacks in 2019, didn't play it down, and has only played a couple of years at defensive line. So I, I think when you look, there's just everybody, you're going to have to forgive something here and there. And that's not just with the top end guys. It's also when you get to day two. So a lot of these guys are going to, are going to have some warts that you're going to have to try and see, hey, are you okay with an undersized pass rusher and a Quincy Roche? Are you okay with uh, a guy that maybe is giving up a little bit in terms of athleticism with a Peyton Turner uh, from Houston? It just it's, it's going to come down to what are you looking to forgive? It's just not the strongest group overall in terms of pass rushers uh, off the edge. Now, defensive tackle is really where probably the Washington's deepest deepest group, John right. Allen, Deron Payne, plus Tim Settle, they get Matt Ioannidis back. So, I mean, if, if they keep all four of those guys, that's great. I say if they keep, again, hypothetically, if they do make a big blockbuster trade, particularly for Deshaun Watson, that's a particular that's an area where maybe you can make a determination we can give somebody up. But all mm -hmm. that aside, just in general, we like uh, I don't uh, if they keep that group, I don't imagine Washington drafting a defensive tackle. But what's your what's your thoughts about those guys? Kind of similar to, to edge rusher in that I don't think that there's a really, uh, you know, strong group at the top. I think Christian Barmore from Alabama is your best bet uh, to go you know, relatively high in this draft. Again, though, that being said, there's still good players. I mean, Levi Ongazarike from Washington really, really intrigues me. I think he's uh, definitely a guy that can be a factor late in the first round. Um, but then you just get after that. It's going to come down to flavor and what you're hoping for. Um, it's, a, it's an interesting group. A bunch of guys with disruptive traits. But, uh, you know, you got to figure out how to try and sort these guys. How do you stack them? How do you, you know, break those, uh, break those trends? It's going to be really interesting uh, to see how teams stack them this year without a combine and, and things like that. Um, before we get further into these other projects, I'm just curious. Now, you are a guy who pays attention to the NFC East. Um, the, the, you, you watched the last game of the year, Washington, the game they clinched a division. I'm just curious, what, what did you think of Washington's defense from the outside? Because to me, like by statistics, they were ranked very high. We've talked about this a bunch on the podcast, right? very top five, top 10 in a lot of categories. And obviously that defensive line is, you know, on a pure talent level is very impressive. Um, at times, it didn't feel like, though, that, they, that the eye test matched the stats. But as a, somebody pointed out to me the other day, maybe we almost need to recalibrate what a top 10 defense looks like anymore because the offenses right. are just so strong. What, what was your just broad sense of Washington's um, uh, defense? And like if you were to sort of pinpoint the thing they need the most, what would you kind of what would you kind of go? You know, I think looking at them overall, uh, there are certain, certainly the rush is outstanding. You know, and I think when you look at Chase Young and Montez Sweat and Deron Payne, I loved coming out of Alabama, Jonathan Allen, just a really solid player. Uh, you know, you mentioned, I think that they're probably looking to upgrade at linebacker. I think that's an area where you say, all right, uh, this is where we would like to get, you know, just some reinforcements there. That being said, I mean, they've got some young players that I, and you tell me like, 
you know, I know that they were high on Cole Holcomb initially. I know that was the, the previous coaching staff and he kind of earned his way back into the starting lineup late, later in the year. I know that was kind of due to some injuries as well, but uh, you know, obviously Ruben Foster, an interesting kind of situation. And we'll kind of see uh, how that plays out. And then you look at the secondary look, I've always liked Kendall Fuller. I really like Jimmy Moreland as a slot corner. Cameron Carl really gave them some good play on the back end of the year. And from a pure schematic standpoint, I thought that they they were executing well. And that all started with the rush. That scheme, it takes a little bit of time to kind of get into it. So year one, that was about how I would expect it. And that was probably on the high end of what I would expect in year one. Because from a, a pure coverage standpoint, it takes a little bit of time to get there and really kind of button the rules up. And you kind of saw that in Buffalo when uh, Sean McDermott got up there. It takes a little bit of time for those guys to really all get on the same page. I thought they did some good things considering it was just year one, especially in a uh, COVID-19 uh, era in terms of not being able to get on the same page in the offseason. Right. And that is definitely something I, I, I and everybody probably needs to remember. It was a, uh, it's my podcast. It was a fucked up year and everybody, it's hard. To, <laughs> I mean, it's really hard to factoring like what they all had to go through just to week in week out, stay focused, stay engaged and all that. Uh, we're talking here, 2021 20, NFL draft with uh, our, our pal, Fran Duffy. You can follow Fran on Twitter at Eagles X O S. Uh, I'm the one cursing, not him. Um, <laughs> let, let's go to the offensive side of the ball. Let's stay on the line. Uh, you know, Washington's offensive line, the left tackle going into the year was we all kind of knew was a big question mark, and it definitely was early on. But yeah. Cornelius Lucas came in about halfway through the year and did a pretty solid job, at least from the standpoint of we didn't talk about him that much because it wasn't like becoming a, a total a total disaster. Uh, that said, I don't know if he's a long-term solution at that spot. Sadiq Charles literally only played two snaps all season, both at guard. I, 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 from what I gather, the team is still very interested in him, maybe more at guard and tackle, but – if Brandon Scherf stays, we'll get to guard in a minute. There may not be, uh, and with Wes Schweitzer, maybe they put Charles back at tackle. So maybe yep. they don't have a screaming need at tackle in terms of they have to get somebody, but you could make the argument that they could use a, a better uh, a better player. Uh, and I know Dane, when he did uh, a mock draft, his last mock draft, he, he sent uh, the USC kid, and I'm blanking on his name. But Elijah Vera Tucker. Yeah, and I think Dane was viewing him more as a guard than tackle, but offered that possibility. In any event, what's your view of the tackle class, uh, offensive tackle class this year? Yeah, I think when you look back to last year, we saw all the blue chip guys go early, and uh, it was a good group. And I think this year, maybe not quite as star-studied in terms of, oh, man, there's going to be four in the top 15. But there are a couple of guys that I, I think certainly have starting potential and relatively early in the NFL. I think you look at obviously Penny Sewell. Uh, some people really like Rashawn Slater from Northwestern. Um, you throw in Lee, Liam Eichenberg from Notre Dame. I'm a big fan of a lot of people like Sam Cosme and there's Christian Darishaw from Virginia tech, a school that, uh, that Washington very familiar with. They've plucked a lot of guys, a lot of Hokies in the last few years. So yeah. to me, I, you look at Alex Leatherwood from Alabama, a lot of tackles that some people are really high on and, and everybody's going to come down to what do you like more than, than, uh, than some others, but, Look, it's a group to me. When you look at tackles, if you could be a solid starter, that is very, very valuable. So why some guys may not have a real, real wow factor. If you can come in and just be a competent starter in the NFL, that's not easy to find. And so, um, you know, if Washington, if the board falls a certain way and you say, look, we don't really love uh, the value of any of the receivers here. We, there's a lot of those guys left and, you know, the two corners are off the board. Oh, well, you've got Christian Darashaw sitting here. We've got Elijah Vera Tucker sitting here. We've got Rayshon Slater sitting here. Whoever it is that you like, 
maybe that's when you pull the trigger and you make one of those guys the pick. And I think that those that's certainly a plausible scenario based off the state of the depth chart right now. So we have not spoken yet with the meeting, the local media with uh, new GM, Marty Herney and I'm sorry, new GM, Martin Mayhew. And like uh, Marty Herney's got one of these fancy titles. I keep blank on executive vice president of player, something, whatever. Right. We all know, we all get the gist. Um, they did do though an interview with the team website and I watched it. Let's just say I watched it so you guys didn't have to. Uh, there wasn't much there, you know, whatever. But when just the one thing they sort of mentioned, just the idea of like, what do you, what do you think is sort of important to build on? They both said it's all about building along the lines that you yep. really have. It all starts there. And so to that end, obviously, free agency comes first. This is a year in the NFL where there's a lot of free agent wide receivers out there. And I kind of could make an argument. They maybe need a, a veteran receiver more than another kid, even though younger receivers are coming in a lot and we'll get sure. to a receiver in a second. But in terms of tackle, it's an expensive position. Typically, we all get that. And this would be potentially an opportunity when I'm looking at these boards early to think, well, if they decide we, we do like Lucas, but maybe he would prefer him to be the swing tackle. And we do like Charles, but we think ultimately he goes inside that maybe it is a, it is an opportunity to take a tackle at 19. Something to keep in mind as we get to learn more about what Mayhew and Herney are kind of thinking about while working under under Rivera. Um, I'll skip tight end for a moment and jump to the receiver though, since I mentioned it. Uh, last year was one of those years where every receivers were just such a deep, such a deep group. And Washington took one in Antonio Gandy Golden in, in the fourth round. Similar to Charles, he basically had a washout uh, year because of both. I think the the uh, with the limited practices it took that I think that really hurt a guy coming from Liberty to the NFL and then he gets hurt really didn't do that much but you know they have hope there Cam Sims came on late in the year he went from the practice yeah. squad to leading them and receiving in the playoff game and obviously Terry McLaurin's a total a total beast Steven Sims though, was was a setback the bottom line is at best they have Terry McLaurin and then a lot of kind of what we'll see guys so they definitely need a receiver my sense is that this is another year where the receiver class is pretty impressive. In my mock draft, I did go receiver round one. I hate doing it. Not going to lie. I do not like taking a receiver in round one. I did go with Kadarius Tony, if I'm saying okay. that first name right. Yep. Um, because from what I gather, he's a guy that you can kind of move all over the place, and that seems to fit with what Scott Turner no doubt. Is, is looking to do. So I kind of went with that. And also, I think Daniel Jeremiah went with him. I was like, all right, I'll, <laughs> I'll, it makes sense. And I wasn't trying to overthink this first one. So that's where I went. I guess thoughts on him, who, and I believe he is, I think Dane, Dane wrote somewhere that Tony is his number one guy who is going into the senior bowl. But uh, just any thoughts on him, but more than specifically uh, this receiver class. Yeah, I think when you look at uh, Kadarius Tony and you compare him with Antonio Gibson and J.D. McKissick, and you look at those guys that have that versatile skill set. I mean, Tony was a running back receiver hybrid pretty much every year up until this year when he was just a pure receiver. And uh, you could see him taking carries out of the backfield. Even this year, he was still getting some carries out of the backfield. So uh, Tony, one of the more versatile playmakers, he's got legit juice, uh, really explosive, really sudden. A little bit of a freelancer as a route runner. So if you're a coach where you need this guy to be run, this route to be run exactly this way every single time, uh, that might not be your cup of tea. But if you just say, hey, look, point A, point B, I don't care how you get there. Make sure you get there by this time so you're in the right spot for the quarterback's progression. Uh, then maybe you're a little bit more forgiving there. But 
I'll tell you what, this kid is one of the most explosive playmakers in the draft. He did have some drops uh, this week in Mobile, but uh, the game-breaking potential certainly is there. And this receiving class, you spoke on it, it's, it's a really good group once again. You've got blue-chip players, whether it's uh, Jamar Chase and Devontae Smith and uh, Jalen Waddle. You've got those guys that are probably going to go uh, you know, in, the, in the top 15, top 20 of this draft. And after that, it's a bunch of other good players again. I mean, you look at uh, uh, Tutu Atwell from Louisville and Tylen Wallace and Rondell Moore from Purdue. You mentioned Kadarius Toney. Uh, all the guys that were down at the Senior Bowl this year, just a great class uh, of senior receivers. So, uh, once again, the draft is going to be full of them. Uh, you're going to be able to get talented ones. It's a matter of will that guy click and will that guy be able to hit early uh, or will it take a little bit of time? But it's a, a really good group of receivers. Once again, it depends on what flavor you're looking for for your football team. Um, what, what do you think about what I was saying before that, just sort of general philosophy about like some, I mean, look, if there's a distinct difference, if Tony is sitting there at 19 and you just think, best player on the board by, you know, we think he's top 10, you know, you know, how it is. Every, every, no matter who anybody picks, he was the best guy we had and should have been picked 87 picks ago, whatever. Um, the idea of, in, in, you know, skipping, like, is there a level that you would drop down? Like I would, I would take, even if I technically have this wide receiver slightly above the tackle or a safety or whatever that you would like say, but I know that I can get a pretty good receiver two rounds later, but there's other positions I can't like, what's that? Is there a line for you? With that type of thinking, or is it just don't be, don't overthink this, man? Take the best player. You scattered these guys for months. If we have this guy as the best player on the board, and we think and we need this position, just take him. Where are you kind of on that? I definitely trend more towards the latter there, and, and it's funny because you have these conversations all the time. And this goes, I mean, I've been going to the Senior Bowl for years and years and years now, and you talk with people and it's like, Oh, well, you know, safety. Oh, you can wait till day three for safety. Oh, you can wait to to get a guard on day two or whatever. But then it's like, Oh, well you know, you're, you know, the Washington's in a division where you, you look over and you've got Zach Martin, right? And it's like, oh, well, how come we don't have a Zach Martin? It's like, well, I mean, they drafted Zach Martin in the top 15. Uh, or you might look and let's just say look kind of big picture here. And you look at uh, the Kansas City Chiefs going to the Super Bowl for the second straight year. And who's one of the big players on that team? It's, it's Tyree Kill. Now, he fell in the draft because uh, of character concerns, right? There were, there were obviously issues there. But I think when you look at him and just what he means to that offense, you're looking around and say, all right, well, we want that guy. Where do we find a Tyree Kill for our offense? And you look at this receiver board and you're like, all right, well, who are the guys that could be Tyree Kill? Kadarius Toney would be a, a guy that would fit that kind of mold, right? Is that undersized, versatile, explosive, you know, throw him on jet sweeps, get him the ball fast, but also hit over the top. That's what Kadarius Toney can be. That's what Jalen Waddle can be. Those guys don't grow on trees typically. So if you want them, you better go get them. And, and so, uh, I think there's that part of it too. And that's why I was saying it really comes down to what you want. If you're, if you need to receive, if you say, Hey, we we're a team that needs receiver help. Well, yeah. Then if you don't care what you get, then, then maybe you wait. But if you say, look, we, we really need speed. We, we need a game breaker. We need a guy to take the top off and to stretch defenses. Well, now that sh that list shortens quite a bit. And so you have to say, all right, well, how do we go and make sure that we get that guy? That's where the conversation changes a little bit. Uh, all right, tight end. Uh, last year at this time, I was in the Senior Bowl, and I probably I, I had two jobs at the Senior Bowl in my head. One, talk to as many people as I could about Chase Young, his former Ohio State teammates, people in the Big Ten, whoever was around that had a thought. The other one was, I'm all in on the tight ends. I, I, the, the Washington was, I mean, at that point, 
uh, you know, that they would, no, we had no idea exactly what they were going to be doing. Right. They, they had this, they had to get a tight end finally. They, you know, Adam Troutman, I was like, I was reading everything I could about that guy. Ossie <laughs> uh, 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 Ossie was somebody I'd, I'd been told to keep an eye on, all that stuff. And then nothing happens. And they ultimately didn't even bother. They, 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 they take Thaddeus Moss as an uh, undrafted free agent and then he gets hurt all year. Fortunately for Washington, no. Logan Thomas turned out to be one of the big surprises of the year in terms of a guy that was a really low-key free agent signing, um, and he had a great year. That said, they don't have any depth behind him. I would still imagine they should be looking at a tight end, maybe not uh, early in the draft, although Logan Thomas, I don't have it in front of me, but I think he only signed a two-year contract. Don't quote me on that. Uh, in any event, they don't have much else behind him. What, what, what's your sense of this uh, tight end class? You know, I think overall you have a, a great, great prospect in Kyle Pitts from Florida who is going to go top 10, top 15 of this draft. Uh, I mean, the guy was the fi a finalist for the Blitnikoff award as the top receiver in college football, the only tight end to ever be a finalist for that award. And so I think that kind of speaks to what his value can be in the NFL. After that, it's, a, it's going to come down to a bunch of good players. And I don't know that there's a lot of guys you say you look at even on day two and say, oh, yeah, like I really need this guy. It's not the strongest year at tight end. But, you know, you look at Hunter Long from Boston College and say, yeah, like this guy can come in and play. You look at Tommy Tremble from Notre Dame, uh, who's a, a really impressive two-way player. Uh, Brevin Jordan from Miami, uh, an undersized athlete at the position who can, uh, you know, get downfield and make plays. So uh, Kenny Yoboa was down at the Senior Bowl, and, and he's got some vertical ability. So there are, there are players, but with tight end, number one, it always, it almost always takes a little bit of time for those guys to be able to uh, make an early impact. And then uh, the, the second part of it is it comes down to the offense and the usage and uh, you know, the, the role that they're asking those guys to play. Yeah, I, I ended up, I mean, look, you can't solve all your issues in a day. And, and as always, free agency comes before the draft. So, you know, who knows, Washington maybe can sign somebody in free agency to help out. I went with Nick Eubanks in the seventh round. It's tight end out of Michigan. Don't, uh, not, not, I'm not expecting you to tell me that's a great pick uh, or anything, or even maybe it's not even worthy. I don't know, but just, you know, I was just looking for somebody at Washington that has two picks in the seventh round. And like I said, I, I could have maybe justified taking a tight end and at any point, but receiver, linebacker, safety, offensive tackle, pass rusher, corner, like they need these other things too. So, uh, I didn't get anywhere. Does you know, we don't have to discuss Nick Eubanks? This, there's nothing to discuss. But that's who that's who I picked <laughs> in the seventh round uh, for Washington. Um, running back again doesn't seem like a position that I would imagine Washington would take. That said, I didn't think they would take one early last year either. But of course, they probably had a sense they might move on from Adrian Peterson. Not a really good fit for Scott Turner's offense. Whether they thought they would move on from Darius Geis or not, they ultimately did when he had. Before the before training camp started, uh, charges of domestic violence came up, so they moved on from him. They signed J.D. McKissick in free agency, and they drafted Antonio Gibson. And both of those guys had really good, really good years. McKissick was was a, a big revelation as a pass catcher out of the backfield, and Gibson, 11 touchdowns, really showed that versatility as a as a dual threat. So it's not a position I would imagine Washington takes early on. You know, day three, you know, go go nuts, but. Uh, don't I don't imagine they would, but what's your what's your what's your take on the running back class? And obviously this this is there's some big names out there, Travis Etienne, sure. Harris, or some guys out there fans will, will recognize. 
Yeah, I mean, you look at ETN, you look at Harris. Uh, I would throw the the North Carolina running back Javante Williams uh, into that group as well. And um, even then, the, the second tier after even Chuba Hubbard from Oklahoma State, really explosive, one of the best game breakers in the in the uh, in the country. Kenny Gainwell didn't play this year, but as a redshirt freshman for Memphis was really impressive. You know, really reminded me of like an Aaron Jones or Kareem Hunt style player. Um, you know, I don't think that he, there's a lot of buzz about him right now just because he didn't play this year, but uh, Kenny Gainwell, certainly a name uh, to keep in the back of your mind. So uh, it's a, it's a group with a lot of really intriguing talents. It's with running back, especially, and you, you know, this, like those guys tend to fall and it comes down to situation and really what you're kind of looking for. You know, Antonio Gibson um, wasn't talked about as, oh, this guy could be a starting running back. This guy could be – and now what happens? He goes in the third round, and now he's on everybody's uh, hot list for fantasy football because, oh, he's going to get the lion's share of the touches, and especially after Adrian Peterson's gone. Now look at what Adrian, what uh, uh, Antonio Gibson could be. So it's all about finding the skill set to best complement. I, I guess my question for you would be, how do you feel the team views Antonio Gibson moving into year two? Do you feel like they want somebody to compliment him or do you feel like they think he could be the guy with McKissick and just kind of run that back? Yeah. Um, I, I think they could, uh, they, they could do all that. By the way, I, I, I'm, uh, it's been, we're talking on Friday, the Atlanta Falcons have uh, Kyle Smith is going to be their VP of player personnel. Uh, by the time everybody knows this, I'll set this in the intro as well, but like I've, put out earlier that he was leaving and now it's coming out that that's happening so on and so on um interesting thoughts there uh you, you, do you have any thoughts on kyle smith as a guy who does what you do in terms of i mean it's always hard to know on some level who gets credit for what but he is considered to be a an ascending player in this league um or an ascending um talent evaluator in this league yeah, and I won't. I won't claim. I will never claim to do. You know, to say I do what what all those guys do because they they do it for a living and they do it at such a high level. I think when you look at uh, at Kyle Smith and what he did over the last couple of years in Washington, I mean, there were clearly some trends that uh, you know. So you kind of got a sense of this is what he's looking for. They really rarely ventured outside power five conferences. They were focused on guys that were highly productive, that were doing it at a young age. Uh, you know, certainly, I mean, there's been a lot made of, oh, we're going to go Alabama. We're going to go Ohio state. We're going to get a lot of these guys that have produced on the biggest stage. Uh, you know, we'll see uh, exactly what he can bring um, to a new look front office uh, down in Atlanta. I think it's an interesting marriage there. It is. It is a uh, lot of changes going on. Um, All right, well, I, I, I have completely lost track. See, this is what happens. You cannot multitask while doing a podcast. I'm, all, I'm flummoxed. Uh, to go back to the Washington running back situation, I mean, I think Antonio Gibson only scratching the surface of what he can do. You know, he had only, what, 30-something carries at Memphis that last season. I mean, you could tell early, early in the season he was still sort of struggling with his vision uh, with lanes, but he got increasingly better as the season went along. And... Um, McKissick, I mean, you know, he was really good. I mean, he was he he had he's got one of the, one of those guys that looks like he's got a joystick, uh, you know, out there with the ability to, to to spin and shift and all that. And I think it was a pretty good dynamic. Peyton Barber was literally the short that short yardage yep. guy, third and one, but first and ten, not exciting. Third and one, he he totally did fine. Um, so anyway, um, so yeah, so I think that I. I 
I think that's a really interesting dynamic. And that's the thing to me, like, obviously we'll get to quarterback in a second, but between McLaurin, between Gibson, between McKissick, between Logan Thomas, they really had better playmakers than I think most of us assumed they would when the season started. They need another, they need more, they need another receiver. But if you get that and then can get some stable, a, a stable play at quarterback, I think all of a sudden you've got a really interesting, uh, a really interesting dynamic. So that's exciting for sure um, to see, uh, to see what, what happens. Um, all right, we have to get the quarterback. I did save the best for last. Um, even the most casual of, of NFL draft people know that you've got four guys at the top of this class, Trevor Lawrence being the most obvious. He'll be the number one pick. Uh, and then you've got three guys after him, and then there's some interesting players there. Let's start with this. Of those four guys at the top, now Washington picking at 19, as far as we know, we'll have no chance to get any of those guys unless they were to trade up. Um, Trevor Lawrence, we'll forget that altogether. The rest of it, well, I guess we'll see. If you had to guess, or not so much guess, which of those other three guys, meaning Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, Trey Lance, if, if, do you think is interesting enough that maybe a team like, I mean, whether Washington specific or just in your own view, is interesting enough that maybe you say, you know what, this is a this is a guy who's talented enough, maybe we need to consider uh, moving up. Yeah, I think all four really present, you know, that that kind of uh, that kind of image, right, where you're like, all right, this guy can be the guy for us, and. Each of them are going to have their questions. And I think when you get to those three, when you get to, uh, you know, Zach Wilson and Justin Fields and, uh, you know, to uh, Trey Lance, all three are going to have your questions. And it's going to come down to a matter of fit, not just in your offense, but uh, in your locker room and ultimately who the coaches and personnel really feel that this is a guy that we can attach our name to. And I, I think we know the things that are important to Ron Rivera, to Scott Turner. So who of those guys, when you look at, Trey Lance and you look at Justin Fields, you look at Zach Wilson, who of those guys best kind of exhibits those traits. And if you can't get that with those three, are you okay with saying, okay, we're going to go back, you know, we're going to go to a Mac Jones or Kyle Trask. And those guys will almost certainly will be there uh, at 19 or, or potentially later, uh, you know, or do you say we're going to go a different route? Uh, I think that one is going to be really interesting. There are a bunch of teams on the back end of round one uh, that will find themselves asking those questions when it comes to this group. But uh, you know, Mac Jones was down there at the senior bowl. I don't think he did anything crazy to necessarily move the needle all that much. But uh, as you know, when you go down there, it's not necessarily about, on the field it's about meeting with teams and, and kind of the you know how those go and so um you know if he were, were to meet with a team like washington and that meeting went well well that that opens the door and say all right well maybe maybe this guy can be what we're hoping uh to get here in uh you know as our potential starting quarterback in the future um you mentioned some of the other guys so what so again as we're sitting here right now but, but look, who knows the, the, the quarterback frenzy out there is off the charts right now we know that the Lions are looking to move Matt Stafford. Um, we don't know if the Texans are ultimately going to be willing to move to Sean Watson, but every indication is that he wants to get moved. And if those two things happen and Washington gets involved, then who knows? But if they don't do that, you know, there's some other guys that are out there in free agency, you know, potentially your Cam Newtons, your Jameis Winstons, you know, if Jimmy Garoppolo gets sprung free, if the Jets are open to trading Sam Darnold, things could happen. But it also could be a case where we get to April, Washington has, you know, they, they retain exclusive right for agents Kyle Allen they uh keep restricted free agent Taylor Heineke Alex Smith I guess it's possible but I mean I think there's a reason we could move on from him I've discussed that before or I should say they, they when I say we I mean the collective we <laughs> I'm not a we guy uh the um so it could be that they're sitting there at at, at 19 thinking hey what's the long-term solution at quarterback so Mac Jones 
is the seems like the fifth guy, the one most likely to be there. You mentioned Kyle Trask. Doesn't seem like he's projected in the first round, but you know things can change, especially at quarterback. What, what Mac Jones is at the Senior Bowl um, as we're talking. It's Friday, so the, the, the game will still go on. What's been your sense of him? He really kind of came out of nowhere. I mean, it's hard to come out of nowhere at, when you're playing Alabama. But in terms of the draft, it feels like he kind of was way off the radar before when the year started. Now he could be a first round pick. What's your sense of Mac Jones? Is he somebody that you like in the first round? And do you think he kind of makes sense for Washington? Well, I think the, the big question you're going to have about Mac Jones on the field is the fact that he's not a great athlete that's going to extend the play and be able to create outside of structure. Now, uh, you know, I don't know that you would necessarily say that about, um, you know, Kyle Allen, a player that uh, has been able to have, find success in uh, Scott Turner's offense as well. So um, that might not be high up on the list of priorities for them. That being said, Kyle Allen was an undrafted free agent and you might look at that and say, all right, well, uh, we don't necessarily need to spend a quarterback, a first round pick on a quarterback that can't do that. If we're going to draft one high, we want him to be able to extend plays. But uh, again, I think it ultimately comes down to, um, you know, how the, how the off field stuff goes with him. And if teams feel really, really comfortable, Hey, this guy, he can be our guy. We can ride with him. Well, then he's your quarterback. And now you're, yeah, you're, you're definitely pulling the trigger in round one. I think when you look at Mac Jones, look, he came in uh, to uh, back up to a tongue of Iloa a year ago in Washington after he went down. So he got a, a couple of games of starting experience under his belt on the back end of 2019. You watch him this year, highly, highly schemed offense with elite talent around him. No question. That being said, he was an elite game manager, and that, that's not a that's not a negative. That is a that is a good thing. That is what you want uh, from the quarterback position. There are so many teams around the NFL, so many quarterbacks that you could point to that have had a lot of success in the NFL, being exactly that. And so, I think when you look uh, at what Mac Jones does, he's got great accuracy and ball placement and touch to all three areas of the field. He takes care of the football. He can operate inside the pocket. He's a, he's a, you know, he's still kind of feeling his way. I remember just his first year as a starter, his first full season as a starter. So, uh, you know, goes undefeated, wins the national championship game, was extremely productive, took care of the football, made great decisions. Uh, he checks a lot of boxes. The question you're going to have, he's not a guy that, uh, you know, is going to, break the pocket and make a bunch of plays with his legs. That's, that's not him. And if you feel that in today's league, you need to do that, then that might, that might be a, uh, a sticking point for you when it comes to that selection. And that's why I don't, you know, as I said, when I did the, the, the mock draft, I, I, I was sort of, I'm sort of going with the opinion that Washington figures out a quarterback situation before the draft. Interesting. Uh, I, I'm a believer that you draft a quarterback almost every single year. You can't have too much depth. I mean, I don't, I shouldn't have to say that anyway, Washington two of the last three years has started four different quarterbacks. <laughs> like you can, I don't think I have to remind fans of this team that you can never have enough depth. Um, but it's also, this could be the year where if you keep Allen and you keep Heineke two relatively young guys who look like they could be backups in this league, you don't, you know, you don't need to draft another kid. Um, but in either event, I also don't look at them as like, I wouldn't really feel great going in with either one of them as the, week one starter for the course of the season while this young quarterback develops. And I also keep wondering, does Ron Rivera, after what he just went through with Dwayne Haskins, think to himself, I don't want to go through another, I don't want to go through another rehab cycle or not rehab cycle, another, you know, developmental cycle. So we'll see. I'm not saying they get Stafford or Watson. I just wonder, do they get, uh, that they, that they address it in some way and not have to deal with the draft. Um, that said, 
maybe I'm wrong. Maybe in the later rounds, they do decide to, you know, maybe Taylor Heineke signs somewhere else and they need a third string, a third guy. They had Steven Montez on a practice squad all year, but when push came to shove, they ultimately didn't go to start him or to use him when it had to late in the year. Um, anybody else you find interesting in the later rounds of this draft? Um, I spoke to Quincy Avery the other day. Uh, he, he uh, a notable co QB coach for Deshaun Watson and others. He's training Trey Lance. He's also training Jamie Newman, who played at Wake Forest. Technically, it says Georgia, but he never actually played for Georgia. Um, it doesn't have to be him. Any quarterback in the middle late rounds you might take a, a flyer on or you think is interesting enough? Yeah, I think when you look at uh, certainly Jamie Newman, there are tools there. I and mean, the ball comes out of his hands well. Uh, you know, he's a big, strong kid. He, he's built really well. Uh, I would look at Sam Ellinger. I think you say a lot of the same things about Sam. Uh, from Texas, three and a half year starter there for the Longhorns. He's tough as nails. He's smart. He's not dynamic, but an athletic kid. He, he and Jamie Newman, I think, are very similar uh, in a lot of ways. And look at the Eagles just uh, selected Jalen Hurts in the second round a year ago. There were other teams that were interested uh, in him as well in that area. You look at Jalen Hurts and compare his game to a Sam Ellinger, to a Jamie Newman, to a Kellen Mond down at Texas A&M, who was at the Senior Bowl as well. There are a lot of similarities, right? And I think when you talk about that ability to make plays with your legs, which Ellinger, Newman, Mond, all those guys, they have that ability to do. I think that can be a little bit of an X factor in terms of how you're viewed. And again, it comes down to where are you between the years? Jalen Hurts aces from that, from that side of it. Everybody loved what Jalen Hurts brought from a football character and competitiveness standpoint. I think Sam Ellinger checks those, but everyone I talked to at Texas you check those boxes with him as well. A plus, A plus, A plus. Um, I don't know as much about Jamin uh, or about Jamie Newman or about um, about Kellen Mond, but uh, you know, I think when you're talking about those guys, it's going to come down to, hey, look, these guys got tools. Does he have the character to be able to reach that upside? Does he have that work ethic, that drive to be able to get the most out of the tools that he's got at his disposal? Um, all right, so that's sort of a uh, overall draft view, and I really that was fantastic. You, this is why I mean, uh, you, you know, you, you, the ability to just come up with every no matter what I was asking you to, to do it on the fly, senior bowl specific, any players, dealer's choice, any anybody you just like, wow, I love that guy, or that guy hasn't impressed me, or like this, like it's interesting this year, right? This is by right, the senior bowl is the only event this year. That, that, yep. that players will be able to showcase their abilities. Some of these guys, um, uh, Thomas Graham, cornerback from Oregon, I put him in my mock draft uh, in, the, in in day three. Uh, he was a guy that like was just I'm using him as an example. He's a guy who going into last year, a stat I had read was he led all returning players in passes defended, but then he doesn't even play in this year because the Pac-12 was going through, you know, they didn't know if they were going to play or not. So he doesn't even play, which means, He's out there this week. This is his – scouts haven't seen him for a year or or then some. This is his moment to show what he, where he's at, and it's a huge – this is a huge deal for these guys, um, not to mention the, the smaller school players or everybody. But, like, this is the opportunity. So, I guess, was there anybody out there this week that you fell in love with, you were disappointed by, whatever it is? What, what, what was your what, – what's been your takeaways? Yeah, I would say there were a couple of position groups where a handful of players shined. I would say the guy that stole the show uh, was a player that did not play football this year at the D3 level, Wisconsin Whitewater. Uh, their interior offensive lineman, Quinn Miners, um, you know, was a, a left guard by trade, played both guard and center down in Mobile, and he was outstanding from start to finish uh, this week. He actually broke a bone in his hand on Thursday's practice. 
kept playing through it. And again, as of this point, as is planning to play in the game. So that speaks to his toughness, uh, you know, and his love for the, for the entire process. But I think when you look at Quinn Miners, uh, this is a guy that, to your point, did not play football this year. Last time we saw him was 2019. I watched the film before the senior ball and I thought, yeah, he's, you know, solid player. He did a nice job down at that level. I didn't see a quite a dominant player, but this whole year leading up to the, to the pre-draft process, he had declared for the draft. All he's been doing is getting in shape and put, you know, putting in work. And this guy looked like a different player when you, when he took the field day one, I mean, you, you saw him driving back defensive tackles from big schools that were, you know, big names coming into the week and he's handling them. He's doing a great job in one-on-ones. He's doing a great job across the board. Um, so I think Quinn Miners, uh, a really good example of just this process, how unique it is, but then also how, uh, you know, how much you can help yourself going to one of these events. I think Miners is a guy that uh, people were talking about as a fringe draftable prospect. He was one of the last invites. He wasn't even going to go up until Landon Dickerson, the interior offensive lineman for, uh, for Alabama, broke his leg in the SEC title. If he doesn't do that or ripped up his knee in the SEC title, if he doesn't get hurt, Miners doesn't go to this game and he gets, you know, he goes late in the draft, if at all. Now you're talking about him potentially on day two. So I think Quinn Miners are a really interesting name. Uh, the offensive line in general, Deontay Smith, the left tackle from ECU, I thought had a really strong week. Uh, Robert Hainsey, uh, the offensive line from Notre Dame, uh, played right tackle there, but uh, showed his versatility, played both guard spots and center this week. Uh, I thought he had a really strong week. You look to the wide receiver position, and, and this I mentioned it earlier, uh, the senior group was really good down there. You know, Amari Rogers from Clemson, Cornell Powell from Clemson, uh, Cade Johnson from South Dakota State, a, a slot receiver, uh, showed great route running ability and great hands. D. Eskridge from Western Michigan, explosive, good route runner, kind of similar to uh, Terry McLaren in terms of um, his overall skill set. But, uh, you know, you just go across the board. Josh Palmer from Tennessee, uh, you know, Austin Watkins from UAB, uh, Frank Darby from Arizona State, receiver after receiver after receiver, really, really flashed this week. So the receiver position, I thought, really shined. And then the offensive line group as well. You know, what I always wonder, um, you know, we, we see in some, you know, some schools, they are just great at certain positions, whether it's because of a position coach or maybe if it's a bigger school, you just have, you know, you, you have access to the best talent through recruiting, but some schools are just like, it, it's almost like sight unseen. If I tell you that a, that a player from this position, from that school is, is coming in and you've never even, you, you just have to make a determination whether you would want that guy or not. What's the number one seat on the board for you? Player position X from, from school Y. What's the, what's the one where you're just like, yeah, I mean, like Ohio state cornerbacks, Feels like the way to go, but now, like I see, like Sean Wade feels like he's fading off. So maybe I have to re recalibrate. <laughs> or it used to be back in the day, like a BYU quarterback. Well, what about for you? I'm, I'm, I'm filibustering to give you a second to think, but like, is there one of those that kind of jumps out? So I am. A, this would be very anti me because I'm a I'm a you know scout the player, not the helmet kind of deal, and it goes it goes both ways because there are a lot of people who say, oh, you know never take an Ohio state quarterback. And that's why people don't like Justin Fields because, you know, right. Craig Krenzel didn't work out in 2001, but um, you know, I think when you look at uh, position coaches, right. Uh, that's where you can kind of come in. It's not necessarily the long-term history. It's like, Hey, this guy came from this program where he was coached by, you know, this, this guy, you know, Brian Hartline has turned into one of the best receivers coaches in the country. Right. And when you look at the, the guys that have been coming out of Ohio state that are going, the, the, you know, the, they had a kid go back to school this year that could have entered this draft, but he ends up going back. Chris Olave, extremely well-schooled. And you look at what Terry McLaurin and Michael Thomas have been uh, coming out of Ohio state. 
I, I would put that that uh, you know that position group from Ohio State certainly uh, always intrigues me. Clemson has been putting out receivers uh, left and right, and I actually, ironically enough, spoke with their receivers coach Tyler Grisham uh, on the Journey to the Draft podcast this uh, last week. By the time everybody's uh, listening to this, you can go and check it out. Um, you know, and he talked about both of his guys that were down at the senior ball, Amari Rogers and Cornell Powell, and just what those guys you know bring off the field, what they bring on the field. Um, I would say that Clemson receivers, it's, it's tough to go wrong there as well. Yeah. I mean, uh, yes, you, you definitely need to scout the player, not, not the helmet, but it's, you know, there's, there's it's like, always fun. Yeah. It's a fun conversation. <laughs> Some of that. Um, uh, before I let you got here, uh, Maryland, they got anybody? Oh, I was thinking about, of... I was thinking about like, do I want to go to their pro day this year? Because you know, that's one, it's the closest school. Sure. I was like, boy, I don't even, I don't even know if I've even heard of anybody this year that like there's no DJ Moore this year. So. No, there's no, there's no, certainly no DJ Moore this year. Um, I have to go back through my, I, certainly they're going to have draftable players, but no one that's uh, striking me off the top of my head. Right. Now, if you have to think about it, then you've answered the, right. uh, you've answered the question. Uh, Framan, I really appreciate it. You definitely obviously know your stuff. This is why everybody should be listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Uh, you got Fran, you got our guy, Dane Brugler, uh, Ben, crap, Ben Fennel uh, is the other guy. Uh, I mean, I definitely have listened that you guys do great stuff. This is that time of year. If you're into the draft, uh, giddy up. It's Christmas, but for three months. <laughs> so, uh, so there's plenty of content. Definitely make sure you're checking out Fran and obviously uh, on Twitter as well at Eagles XOS. I think I have that. Uh, That's right. right. Fran, I appreciate it, man. Best, best of, uh, Best of luck through the draft process. Maybe we'll talk again before we get to the big day, but uh, stay safe. Uh, absolutely. You too. Thanks, Ben. All right. Uh, many thanks to Fran Duffy and Matt Paris for their time. Thanks to you guys for checking out the podcast. Again, I have a new mock draft up on the up on the athletic. You can go check out that. All seven rounds talked about the Stafford situation, so you can go read that. I'll be back. I've got another podcast I've already done. I won't say who, but a fun one for sure and a couple other things coming up so check it out of course you can subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss anything on itunes spotify stitcher and all that follow me on twitter at ben standing and uh that's it we'll see what we'll, we'll see what this week comes uh, a busy we had we just had a busy 48 hours with kyle smith and matt stafford and uh there's more to do here uh in washington football team land so that's it for now uh until next time see ya